Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Hey, 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 Emily, how are you today? Hey, 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 Michelle, I'm still great. I'm still flying high. Fabulous. I am really excited about our conversation today. Yeah. You know, and of course, our beverage and to hear about you. How are you doing? I'm doing just fantastic, actually. You know, um, everything is going really well. I'm dealing with going through the college visits with my youngest. So it's kind of like a little bit of reality check Mm. because... You know, he's pretty, he's pretty amazing. And, yeah. and I don't want to, I don't want to keep him from experiencing life in any way. It's going to uh, be hard to see him go though. It's going to be really hard for him to, for me to survive once he goes off to college. Should he choose to go off to college? Should they give him all the money that he wants? <laughs> that, to he go off, that he deserves to go off to college. So, um, yeah, so a little bit of middle of that. I'm very pleased. He, his ACT scores were great. His GPA is great. And, uh, you know, he, He's excited about it. Um, so, yeah, so that's what I'm in the middle of right now. Oh, oh that's we should, wonderful. We should know, you know, he's already been accepted to one school, got a financial aid package already from one. We should mm. be starting to get some other ones in. And, you know, um, my thoughts are the closer the better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But if yeah. he wants to go down to Loyola of New Orleans, I guess I'll deal with that too, right? Um, Absolutely. Right. Road yeah. trips, yeah. here we come. Yeah. So, Do you like how I just assigned myself? Yeah, it's absolutely. like a, we're going on road trips. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I will just go ahead and warn our warn our listeners for the next uh seven months, mm-hmm. you're going to hear about the Williams <laughs> going to be graduating high school. How am I going to live? Uh, Williams going to be going off to college. How am I going to live? Uh, William has gone to college. How am I living? You know, we will take care of you. <laughs> That's the, the theme. The clitoral community will step in. We'll bring our champagne. We'll bring whatever you need. Yeah, tissues. <laughs> prop me up. You know, c- c- check in on me. You know, right. because even during COVID times, I know not, I don't want to get too, too, um, too crazy here, but during the COVID times, I, I got a splinter in my foot twice. Twice? Twice. I got a splinter in my foot, different locations, different times. Yeah. But he got the splinter out. That is a loving sign. What am I going to do yeah. when he goes off to college? I yeah. can't, if I can't get the splinter out of my foot, where am I going to go, Emily? I'm going to have to go to urgent care. I think you're going to have to call the same guy that got the bat out of your basement. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to take uh, applications for splinter remover guy. <laughs> you know, I'm, I think there are plenty. Oh, there's probably a fetish there out there are with plenty. that. I think so. You might yeah. want to be careful given a conversation that we had the last time of the month. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, but yeah. that's what I'm dealing with. Glad to be in the studio. Glad to continue celebrating our our um, defeat of fascism and moving, yes. um, moving forward. And today we have great wine. We have a great guest. Oh, so excited to have Jill Farmer back in our studio. Welcome back, Jill. Woo-hoo. Round of yes. snaps. Yes. friends. It's very good to see you guys again. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. It feels so normal to be here and, and, and have our time together. So I'm grateful that we got to do this in the studio. Would have been fun doing it remotely too, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sure. Just yeah. the conversation is the fun part, but there is something that's particularly lovely about... Uh, enjoying this um, this time with you guys. It is amazing when it feels, it having this like little taste of normalcy again. You know, I was watching, I don't know, one of the, one of the many shows on Netflix right now, you know? <laughs> there's, there's so and many. And I'm seeing, yeah. you know, crowds of people, people going into parties and all this stuff. And I every time I see that, I look at that longingly, like mm-hmm. wondering, when can I do that and actually feel like not the hangover concern mm-hmm. that's going to be carried forward from this time of paranoia being around others? Like, you know, yeah. when will it feel right to be around lots of people again, mm-hmm. like without a mask, without, you know, social distance? So anyway, yeah. it, it does, it is something to celebrate when we, you know, we were, we were very careful with our 
with our health now and are very selective about the people that we see. And thank you for trusting us. But I, you know, it is something I'm really grateful for when we can actually have connection with people one-on-one. Well, and I, I, th- I think that with the COVID times, we've we've become even more, more diligent when we were feeling like a little, little under the weather, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I'm a little under the weather, not so sure. When before times, we would have been like, just power through it, got to get through. Yeah, uh, got to go to work. Got to get, you know, mm-hmm. now we're Take like, that day quill. Yeah, and yeah. now we're just a little bit better because I know you and I both had the cold at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's like all of a sudden, oh, I have a headache and I feel really tired. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, we have to think about this. Fortunately, I did. I got tested and everything was fine. But yeah. there is, um, there is that that side of things that we sort of have to think through um, mm-hmm. in a different way. And I think it's one of those. I think there's. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying it's all rainbows and unicorns. And there's just nothing but silver linings when we choose to look at it from this perspective. And. At the same time, there are some interesting side benefits that have come out of that. One, I think that will be great is if we can, as a culture, let us just stay home when we get sick, right? Exactly. We have this weird thing that somehow we're like, we deserve an extra award if we show up sick at That's work so and true. are still there. Yeah. yeah. And look so at me. It, look yeah. at me, everybody. I'm, I have such dedication to this job. I showed up when I right. was yeah. sick. I'm working opposed, longer and harder. Right. And it won't yeah. be so weird now. You know, I've had friends that have, uh, I do a lot of work uh, with physicians and coaching physicians around stress and time management. And they've been saying for years, like when somebody leaves our office because we know they have strep throat or bronchitis, I want them to put a mask on to go to Walgreens to get their prescription. Of course, mm. we didn't have any, like, there was no paradigm for that. That right. would have been so weird <laughs> that unless yeah, somebody right. was. And so now they're like, that's going to slow down the spread of some of the other not so great mm-hmm. germy things that we give each other. I remember when I had, uh, I was going through chemotherapy and I was in the emergency room one time and I had to have a mask because I was having, because yeah. I was immunocompromised. And I felt so awkward sitting there yeah. with my mask. I almost resented it. You feel it. embarrassed a little bit, I was. Right? It was like, oh, I, I, I've got chemo, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. And now it would not, it doesn't mean, it doesn't phase me at all. Right, with right. With my mask. And another benefit, I think, for coming up that specifically benefits women. Back in 1993, Peter Drucker was saying, you know, based on this new thing called the internet, people are going to be able to do work from wherever they are. Um, really? And so sometime within, <laughs> you know, we're going to, nobody's going to be getting in their cars um, at the same time every day, which takes four times longer to get from point A to point B to go work oh, yeah. in their little box to do the same work at a computer in their little box that they could be doing from any remote location. And so he predicted, you know, he was about 27 years off because he predicted within yeah. the next 10 years yeah. that that would be happening. And the problem with that, the the um, kind of culturally, the, the, the especially corporate resistance to autonomy around work location and doing things is that it particularly unfairly impacted women because women are the people who generally not are not just doing their work, but also are impacted when a kid is sick mm-hmm. um, or when there's another obligation that comes. And so to have um, so many, I do a lot of work in corporate training and to have so many leaders saying, oh my gosh, our numbers were great, mm-hmm. even up in some areas. I'm hearing Funny, that too. who knew that yeah. we didn't have to be in our little boxes driving our cars, taking four times longer to get from point A to point B because we're all driving our cars to the same places right. to get right. to our little boxes. Right. And I was like, well, Peter Drucker did. And the data has been there. Productivity data has been there for a long time. Now, some people will say, you know, working from home all the time is not great. And the data backs that up, too. Is where hybrid yeah. tends to be a little bit better. Where we get some human interaction, just what we were yeah. referring to at the top you of the hour. You get some of that culture of your company, right. too. You need right. a little bit of right. that. And people connected. have varying degrees. Some people mm-hmm. find it very energizing to be in the workplace and having those, you know, water cooler conversations. And they work mm-hmm. a little better with that. Um, and the the kind of silence at home slows them down. Other people are the opposite. And wouldn't it be great if people got to work in a balance of those two things like in a what, way that works best for them? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe because of the COVID times, the, the, the companies that were resistant to it were forced into an experiment that they never would have done on their own. Not maybe. They are. It's been a, like, it's they, been a catalyst they, they've had of change. They, and now they're like, whoa, wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually don't need five thousand square feet of Class A office space. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to commercial real estate. <laughs> yeah, so sorry, I'm not up for any bad. So, sorry, guys. Uh, you know, but well, or, it, it's going to uh, yeah. change it. It's, yeah. it's going to change it, and people can work. I mean, we they've proven that they can work. Well, you know, let's talk about that five thousand square foot space. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you're not having to have thirty cubes in that five thousand square foot space doesn't mean you still can't have place for people to come and work, Mm -hmm. but now you can create an experience, Mm -hmm. you know? So maybe have the, you know, the living room kind of setups in the fireplace or a bar. I'm kind of calling out my office right (laughs) now. But, you know, have experiences so that when people are there, they can communicate with one another in a really, you know, experiential way like well, the, reinvent that it doesn't mean that real estate has to go no away. no I, I don't think it, it just, will i think there's yeah. all kinds of different ways that we can meet more of a hybrid need of those mm-hmm. that can have that and and more flexibility and less distrust we know there's you it, know data less distrust right there's been some data that have shown um in the last 10 years that white males just in in it's not intentional. It's baked in, right? It's just some of that stuff that tend to believe that their white male employees are working harder, more effectively, and longer hours. And the data, even when they're shown numbers that they're actually, that's actually not the case. Right. Um, there's just that kind of stuff baked in. And so to um, be able to say, let's just stop the, I need you in your seat, FaceTime, looking over your shoulder. Now, the other side of this that's been positive is a lot of employees can get kind of insecure, performance insecure, and think that they need to have the boss tapping them right. on the shoulder and patting I know them on the you're back, working. and I yeah. see you're working. And so for people to develop an intrinsic sense of worthiness and accomplishment and productivity without having you know that kind of awk, the, the blue ribbons from the boss all the time, I think develops your ability toward leadership and and, and it strengthens mm-hmm. that skill yeah. too. And I've so I've heard that happening on both sides and I think that's positive. And I know it's not universal. And I know yeah. for some people it's challenging. And if you're a woman who has been working from home and you're like, yay for the flexibility, but I also did it while managing my three kids' education and that's my, you know, amazing. and my spouse's, um, my spouse's own issues and, with having to work from home and our one internet yeah. provider. Yeah. Right? And we all, all are sharing our Wi-Fi. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not, you know, just all hands up in the air to recognize that I'm not in any way, shape or things. It was such a great thing for women and yay, easy time by any mm-hmm. means. I understand yeah. we are talking about so many challenging situations and, and have pushed so many fabulously working women in some cases to the to the breaking point and that's not a good thing either and I, and I, and I think I want to talk a little bit about how yeah. to cope with that stuff I as would, well. I'd love yeah. to dive into that and I also, you know, kind of as a part of that conversation you know, women um, have especially women, I mean men too of course have had to, when they come home, learn how to, with, with, you know, our cell phones and iPads and always being connected to work. And especially here in the United States where we have this work ethic of you have to be working all the time. Mm-hmm. It's a real conscious effort to unplug when you're home and spend time with your family and those that you care about. Now that that dynamic is completely shifting. There are no boundaries. Exactly. How do you create boundaries when you need them, mm-hmm. you know, when, when all of a sudden, you know, your, you know, your kids are used to seeing you around all the time and, and, and they knew pre COVID that when you were home, they got you, yeah. you know, and now all of a sudden, you know, they're schooling from home and, and, and you're working from home. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you create that? The, the, yeah, that conversation to let them know, like, just because I, I'm working right now. Mm-hmm. I, I just I, I see complexities rising as a result of that. Oh, for sure. And and I think there's a there um there's a great book called Overwhelmed, written by my my friend Bridget Schulte, who was a former writer for the Washington Post um, a few years ago, and now she um, is um, doing other things, working for a foundation, uh, New America Foundation, talking about you know sort of how do we let um, women and families thrive in these times of, of all this work. And that book, um, Overwhelmed, she talked about contaminated time, which mm-hmm. is this theory that 
you know, um, it's it's true for men and women, but it hits women harder that when you're at work, you're thinking about home stuff, so you're not producing, and then you feel kind of guilty, and then you get home and you feel like, well, I was dealing with the, you know, the fact that uh, Jimmy forgot the forgot the permission slip. And so I was dealing with that at work. So therefore I know I'm in bed and I should just be relaxing or talking to my spouse or doing anything else, but I'm going to get on and just send a few work emails because I didn't do it. And so, um, or I'm at the kid's soccer game and, you know, I got to work on the deal. And what we know from contaminated time for those who study that research is a, um, it's, yeah, I, I think of it as like a turbo boost of your exhaustion because it makes it has this other layer. It's not just doing the work. It's there's guilt, there's resentment. Mm-hmm. It does all these things that right. adds emotional exhaustion to the process. And it also lowers your productivity. We're never at our best, at our most meaningful self outside of work, which is how what I define productivity outside of work is how meaningful and present and connected we are to whatever is happening. And at work, productivity is producing or creating something that matters to us in relation to whatever those yeah. those intentions are for our, our workplace. And that contaminated time robs both of those experiences of their mm. meaning and effectiveness. And so I, I, I loved that description because it helped me to label in my mind when I was not creating meaningful boundaries. And it's like, oh, I'll just do this one little work thing or, oh, mm. you know, I know yeah. I'm working on this thing, but I'm going to, I'm stressed out about my daughter who's stressed out about her thing. And so I'm going to let my, you know, mind, I'm going to get on and Google things that <laughs> I really right. have no control over right now during that that work time. So I think there's um, another thing uh, muscle that could be strengthened during that time if you allow it to, if we would allow it to, is that idea of having clear boundaries. Right. We don't need to work eight hours. We know that the old factory um, motivated time clock, that there's yeah. no magic to that and that some people who are really focused and intentional can get stuff done in three hours that takes yeah. somebody else nine hours because their right. brain's different and they have ADD and they're moving in and out of projects and that all works great. And... Having a nice, clear container is what I call it. It's not walls. It's not a. It's not a jail, but it's a nice, clear container of time that you protect to do the work that matters to you, mm-hmm. to take meaningful breaks, and then to come back to it so you can be done and let done be done. Yeah, at the end of the day, so you can totally yeah. refill your tank. Yeah, it's like you know, let done be done. You know, I and and giving us ourselves permission. I I I feel as if. Um, and I can look back on my own working life. Uh, yeah, you know, I had a I had a boss that was like Michelle. The day starts at eight, not eight oh five. Right. Um, you know, had had to see my face. Mm-hmm. When I was out of grad school. I finally figured out when he would come in and say, "What do you think about this?" And I would ponder, give him a a, a a reasoned, logical answer to whatever his question was. And he was like, no, I don't think you heard me. And repeat the question. And I learned after three years, he doesn't actually want my answer. He just wants me to say whatever you think. Um, but I would look at like older people, you know, who who would try to put more time in the office. I had kids, then I got divorced, and then I had, you know, then I was like moving up. And it just, it seemed like I was always apologizing for my existence in whichever world mm-hmm. I was in. Sorry, kids, I have to take care of this. Sorry, boss, I have to take care of this. Sorry, life that I don't mm-hmm. have right now, I have to take care of this. Mm-hmm. And I, I I want us to not be apologetic. I don't want us to have to feel sorry for where we, like who we are, where we are, mm-hmm. you know? If I, if and maybe with COVID and our, our yeah. working from home and people listening to our podcast and this wonderful conversation, yeah. then they can start like, you're right. I don't have to, I, I shouldn't apologize for my existence. Yeah, I had an executive sent me a note because uh, he and I were having this conversation. It was just over a casual as a friend and and he was just blown away by how um, effective. And again, they'd kind of surpassed the numbers and he was an old school guy by his own admission and just really always felt like the people that showed up a little early were just working harder. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I said to him really honestly, I said, uh, he said, you know, I was so afraid that, that how would how how could people just sit there for eight hours and do the same work that they did in the office? And I said, just so you know, 
the research shows us people sitting at their desk in the office, a lot of times they're just really good at looking busy. Um, yeah. And that's, there's, there's not, it's not correlate to actual getting stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, really? And I said, yeah. And, and so I said that, that if somebody else brain and if, and effectiveness and efficiency work so they can do the same thing in three hours that somebody else can do in eight hours, you need to stop caring like, how many don't hours you it want takes. That person? Yeah. Don't you want this? Don't you want that person who in three hours can make what somebody can in eight? Like, that says to me that this is somebody who is well, sharp it's a whole and has he, Yes, he wrote to me afterwards and said, you, you blew my mind. I got really stressed out because that felt very threatening to me. And it's like, what are the, people are doing? And he said, but I realize, like, I'm looking now at my own kids and how their brains work and how creative and efficient they are. And if they can do what I what took me 50 hours a week in my chair to do in 20 hours a week because life has improved, and then they have that time back to be with my grandkids or be with other people, oh. I— You've really kind of, you know, rocked my world. And it's not me. It's like, I. Right, this right. is the truth of you yeah. know, what's happening in the world. And I'm just, so, and other people, you know, if if some people like being at their desk for 50 sure. hours a week and they like it's being validating, there. Right? Right? And it's validating. Yeah. Yeah. And, they, and that's enjoyable for them. And that's the bulk of their social life. And I am not criticizing that at all. I'm not saying by any means there's the new method is to, to see if you can get everything done in, you know, two hours versus eight hours. I'm just saying it's not as cookie cutter as culture would have had us believe up to this I, I, point. Right, right. Because they wanted eight hours. You have an eight hour day and you need to be here eight to five, not eight oh five, but you need to be here eight, you know, from that time. And I don't care if you, if, if you're done with your project in four hours, you still owe me four hours of time. And that's, yeah. and that's a shift that's going to have to, I think, continue to change because I think it started with um, the Gen Xers because totally. we were the first ones that were like, look, we can like get this done faster. And we were, we were sort of like this generation that was stuck, right? We want to do it. We can do it faster, but quicker, but you need us to be here for eight. And we didn't But have, I'm surprised uh, how we, many Gen Xers, which is me too, I'm 52, Get are really ticked off at the yep. at those youngsters who just come That's... in and they didn't pay their dues and so I'm interested. It's because we sort of we were we doing switched. it and we knew yeah. that this was kind of crap that that we're sitting totally. in our desk to do that that you know that and then we kind of took it to the next level as overachievers and said, Haha, you guys cluck out at 5 p.m. We stay till 6.30. Yeah, yes. I mean, And then yeah. we get mad at the next generation that sort of says, you guys are like, you're looking busy, but you're not actually doing that much. And there's other things I want to do. Right. And, and I'm actually just going to do it from Colorado mm -hmm. on the mountaintop on my computer mm -hmm. while you stay in your, you know, uh, your cubicle. I think the reason that Gen Xers, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say, this is the reason I, as a Gen mm -hmm. Xer, um, I, I feel that, I guess I can totally relate to what you just said. And I think we even talked about that a little <laughs> bit in our last conversation here. Um, I think because we are, as Gen Xers, a bridge between this old world of thinking, which, let's face it, there's still plenty of people in leadership that are practicing under that methodology mm -hmm. that are the generation before us. And to the new generation that's had technology at their access. Since they came out of the womb. Exactly. Like, and, and have been able to operate at a different efficiency and way of thinking than we have. So we're the bridge between the two worlds. Mm -hmm. And we've our careers started in this space that was still very um, mapped out according to those previous traditions. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute— I didn't get the same luxury mm -hmm. of being able to have technology and in a personal life. <laughs> well, darn it, you. Like, I remember you, Jill, said whippersnapper. Darn it, you little whippersnapper, you know. And so I think that there's, you know, that that's, for, you know, for me, been a part of the struggle. I've, you know, I've made it through that transition. Mm -hmm. I'm now on board you yeah. know, because right. well, I think they taught us that, and I think COVID. This is another way it's teaching yeah. us because we all have had, you know, uh, the most superhuman of my clients and people that I'm working with have had capacity issues because, as I have 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 often said and listened to other psychologists, listen to other psychologists. I'm not, but listen to psychologists say, 
COVID is like having an app running in the back of your phone that's draining your battery. And unfortunately, we don't have the we don't have the ability to take that app off. Mm-hmm. It's just draining the battery. Yeah. And then I would add, we've got the COVID app. We've got the election app. Right. Regardless of what side you were on, right. you yeah. were paying attention, and it was and it was taking focus and energy off of doing other things. You have the I know somebody who lives in Florida and there's, or in, uh, you know, Louisiana and there's the fifth um, hurricane, hurricane of yeah. the year and the fires yeah. in California. California and Oregon. So there's. And then your own personal apps, right? And my then mom, the economy, my dad, my brother, yes, my whatever. The family members. Yeah. And so many things have converged in 2020. And, you know, other friends of uh, um, older people I know who lived through 1968, kind of through 1970s, it was the same kind of thing. It's like, what else can happen, you right. know, yeah. with the. Um, assassinations and everything else. And I feel like we're kind of in one of those times. It's like there's a convergence of a lot of stuff happening and that is draining our batteries. And when we're used to sort of like really getting a lot of um, ego hits from being superhuman, I think a lot of us have faced the humility of saying, of having to cry uncle this year um, mm. in, in, in one way or the other. And I think it's okay for us to have to stop sometimes and say, you know what? My battery does not have the capacity to do all the things and make all the decisions. And the beautiful thing about that is like for me, I don't have time to care about whether somebody, uh, you know, at work who's younger than me is (laughs) getting by with things. And I'm hearing stories like that from people too. It's like, oh yeah, this lack of capacity in some ways, you know, it does sometimes amplify our reaction to things and we can get frustrated. But at some point we kind of hit the wall and we're like, there is literally no juice left at all yeah. to deal with any of that. And I think that's, um, I think that makes us a little more honest and authentic in the end at how to, how to and, deal with those challenges. And things. I think I, I would add to that with, because it's happening to everybody, mm-hmm. we can accept our own challenges because we know it's happening to everybody. Mm-hmm. Prior to COVID, you still had these similar apps and battery sucking issues mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. It might not have been a COVID thing, but it was a relationship. It was, you know, the house, it was your, your, your economics. It could have been your ailing parents. It, it yeah. could have been a discipline issue with a child. You had all of these things sucking at you, but you couldn't, you you could not let somebody know that you were right. off, mm-hmm. you know, needing help, mm-hmm. or that you, things were draining because then you would be looking as if you're not productive, or you're weak, or you're a burden. Again, apologizing for being where you are. Mm-hmm. But COVID happened to all of us mm-hmm. across the globe, mm-hmm. and together. Oh, oh, so so you have you you feel the same, and you feel the same way. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and what I hope and I pray is that we take we take that empathy for others. Mm-hmm. And empathy, right, is the ability to see a situation through somebody else's perspective or be a compassionate worse witness because versus you, sympathy, which is I pity them, right? right? Empathy means we can feel their pain. Yeah. Because we've lived it too. Yes. We've all lived it. And if we keep that aspect when moving forward, post-COVID times, because there will be post-COVID times. The Spanish flu, the 1918 Spanish yeah. flu did not last forever, mm-hmm. you know, um, that we that we hold on to that, that positive change, mm-hmm. that it's okay to ask for help. And it's okay to say, no, yeah. I, I have a cough. I have a little headache. I'm a little tired. I got to take the time. Mm-hmm. And, and as, a, as an American society, we need to, we hopefully will shift to value, I'm sorry, will shift in our thinking that our value as a society is not necessarily what I put out at what I produce, but what kind of life am I able to live and well, impact of others? I, I think, I think it's, it's all of it, you yeah. know, like by, by having a better quality of life, you're going to be able to produce at a higher capacity. Yeah. I always, and I like to, the thing I'd like to think of it is, is, we confuse busy with productive, mm-hmm. right? Busy by its very definition means to be occupied, right? So how many of us want to have like on our gravestone, I was occupied. I was very <laughs> occupied through my course of my life. I multitasked occupied. Right. Uh, yeah. And and inst- it's like produ- productivity is not busyness. It's not to be occupied. It's to produce something that matters. 
Mm-hmm. It's to be iterative. It's to be creative. It's to it's to produce. And and I don't think we should be measured by you know how much we um, how occupied we are. Um, and sometimes being really productive means saying no mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. means sitting quietly and daring to sort of recharge your batteries so that because that's creating space yeah. Yeah. and producing space for um, what needs to happen. And what I, you know, it's like, there's no magic wand, but I like to have people think of three things right now in these challenging times. And the first one I think that you, you guys have both touched on is we need to acknowledge like we have to say, I'm having these feelings. Mm-hmm. A lot of this has been, uh, you know, what I see happening a lot is people either denying, suppressing, suppressing those feelings, oh, it's, it's nothing, and this can, is nothing, and this is no big thing, and this yeah. isn't worse than the flu, right? Yeah. Or um, having feelings and then having them at other people as opposed to taking responsibility for processing our own emotions. So it's like, I'm having, I'm triggered by this experience or I'm, you know, it's, it's created a reaction in me, but I'm going to have that reaction at you. And so I'm, I've been really inviting people to do something that a lot of us are really terrible at, which is learn to process our emotions. I was yeah. terrible at it. Well, don't you think, I mean, on top of you were forced to home, you can't, you don't have your social life that, that you used to have. You're, you're facing your spouse every day when maybe before you faced your spouse four days a week, mm-hmm. you know, um, you have the kids all the time. So all of the things that you might have been able to successfully man, um, manage or mm-hmm. like it just shows up on top of the COVID draining your battery. Right. With the amplification of those things. And so it's like, well, yeah. people say, well, what do you mean by that? Like, okay, well, how do I feel my feelings? And I, the example I've been giving recently is I had a client who's an executive and, um, and she got a, a note from the boss that was just horrific. It was, <laughs> it was just not, it was unkind. It was attacking and, 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 and is this a boss from the older generation? Um, no, it was just a, somebody that she'd had a very good okay. working relationship with. And it was a, it was a tipping point. And she said, you know what? I know I've been coaching me on other things, but I am quitting my job and I want some coaching support on how to do this. And I said, <laughs> okay, um, I'm going to invite you for just, that's a great choice. If you want to do that, that is your choice. And I'm going to invite you to just pause for a second because you have enjoyed this job. You like what you create out of it. You like the the flexibility and some of the other aspects. And um, you are in an activated stress state right now, which means you are feeling those feelings. Those feelings have a right to life. Mm -hmm. You're not wrong to be feeling what you're feeling, but we got to name them. Well, I don't even know what I'm feeling. I said, well, let's just, pra- let's, this is a good practice, right? Okay, I feel angry. I feel frustrated. I feel hurt. I feel hopeless. Okay, those are all really good things to name. And now I want you to go have those feelings while you do things that we know health are very healthy, healthy ways to process feelings. So go take a walk. All you have to do is elevate your heart rate even a little bit and your body will do some of the work of metabolizing those emotions for you. Get really good and mad while you're doing it because the, the madder you get, the better job your body can work with you to metabolize it. Take a, a, a towel and bang it against the wall and get really angry. Talk to a trusted friend who's not going to judge and who can just hold space and not try to either um, inflame or, def- or, mm-hmm. uh, or to or diminish yeah. either one yeah. of those yeah. things. Just the one that can go, wow, it sounds like this is hard, right? Yeah. You should tell them to listen clearly speaking the podcast next time you add that with your group. <laughs> and so we process, and then I said, and then we're gonna make a pl- then we'll talk together, and I'm here as a listening partner to help you make a plan. Well, of course, a couple of days later, she said, Okay, I've processed the emotion and I don't want to quit my job, actually. I don't want to deal with the next range of emotions that would yes, bring. Yes. And I want to have a meaningful conversation with my boss because that was not okay. And yeah. I said, clear boundary. Excellent job. Had a conversation with the boss. He immediately apologized, said he felt so ashamed he was frozen to reach out to her. He had had a triggering event. And so what had happened? He processed his emotion it, at her. Yeah. Right. Because that's what we happen or, when or, we're not processing our emotions. Or, or he didn't really po- process the emotion. He just pushed it. Yeah. He yeah. just pushed he it He projected off. it. You're right. Yeah. It wasn't processing the emotion at her. Yeah. He was projecting the unprocessed emotion at her. Thank you for that. That's an important clarification. Yeah. So that acknowledgement, naming whatever those feelings are and feeling the feelings is really important. And the other 
other thing that's really important is to accept what is in your control and out of your control. And a lot you guys may have had this experience with a therapist. I do it with a lot of my clients. Take a white piece of paper and draw a circle about the size of a salad plate in the middle. In that circle, write the things that you are stressed or worried about that are within your control to have some degree of influence and in changing. Can you give us some examples? So, for instance, if I'm wor- right, if I am worried and stressed about um, how soon the there is going to be a vaccine for. COVID, that's going to go outside my salad plate circle because I am not a immunologist researcher right. or in any way, shape or form in control able of to that. relate to that when that happens. <laughs> um, and so I was like, oh, um, I, you know, I'm worried about whether my family should get together for the holidays. What's in my locus of control? Having a hard conversation with my mom and dad who are minimizing what their actual threat risk is and siblings. Okay, so I, I'm placing all my, I'm noticing as I'm doing this exercise, I'm placing all my energy, when are we going to have a vaccine so this is taken care of? Right. Totally outside of my ability to control as opposed to being an adult and honest about the challenging conversation I don't want to have. And so that process, I can't tell you how many people, when we sit down and do that process, are like, much of my energy and focus and time is happening with things that are outside the circle, <laughs> outside my, my yeah. ability to be control. But it can feel so satisfying on a very shallow level to sort of, you know, wail and gnash our teeth at the, the sky or the man that it, it takes us away from that. So it's, it's a place where I think we get ourselves occupied as opposed to producing something that matters. That is that is. A powerful tool. It is a powerful tool. Thank you for limiting it to a, a salad plate. Yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> because uh, some people might have a dinner plate right. size. Or you a know. trash can. Or a sled. Right, but I'll have somebody who's who will come to me and say, I'm so worried about where my kid's going to go to college next year. Oh. And it's like, what's, what's in, and so the choice of where, you know, our kid gets into college is a little bit out of our control. Yeah. The opportunity to provide a bunch of different choices that regardless of whatever the rest of the world says is good or bad around colleges, but where your kid feels at home, that's mm-hmm. within your control. And then yeah. suddenly you get a lot less stressed about whether you get acceptance or rejection letters and a lot more excited about the fact that there's good choices no matter what. Right, right. I think it's um, it's a, it's kind of interesting, the whole, you know, is there a vaccine when it's going to happen? Um, I can honestly say that... In the last, especially the last year, but since, you know, in the last four years, I did spend an awful lot of time worrying about things that were not in my control, mm-hmm. getting myself upset about decisions that were being made um, that I totally disagreed with um, by the administration and worrying and worrying and worrying. And even today... Um, when there was a news thing about something McConnell did and I found myself like, oh, getting upset. Um, Prior to the the results of the election and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris winning, I would have spent a lot more time on that aspect, that that information that I'd received that was upsetting me about fucking decisions that they're making that are are impacting folks. But it isn't in my control. But it isn't in my control was to vote. Right. And so that's the thing is a lot of times we we get so hung up on the stuff that's out of our control that we forget to take the action that is within our, our control and to to learn, to vote, to do whatever those things that, that matter to us. And it's so it's it we just sort of we forget to treat it all. So it's that that accepting what is within our control and what's without our control. It doesn't mean condoning it. doesn't mean yeah. saying, you know. Yeah. But we end up um, inadvertently as adults a lot of times tantruming, right? We have these things yeah. like, I want it to not be raining today so I can go to the amusement park, right? And when we're six and we have a tantrum about that, we go, but then we're all walking around. It's like, I need more time. And I, we're tantruming about, yeah. tantruming about all these things that we really are not thinking about in our control. And so... So when we acknowledge how we're feeling and then we take that adult step of actually processing those feelings, you know, therapy also is another really good way to process feelings, right, which I think right. is helpful. We, yeah. we accept what's in our control and what's out of our control. And then we use one of our brain's most powerful tools, which is reframing, right? Like how do I 
um, use my brain's ability to have varying perspectives on things, to look and see if there's a perspective that doesn't bring a more meaningful outcome to me. And, yeah. and, I, and I used to hear that a lot and it's like, okay, that's great, but I am very practical. It's like, how do I reframe? Like <laughs> this situation yeah. is driving me nuts. I'm really mad at whoever, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, um, that is, is frustrating me. And how do I, and reframing doesn't mean denying or diminishing. It just means being willing to look at a different perspective that might be more helpful, right? And so I, the ways that I have found it very useful to reframe, one of my favorites is I try to think about somebody who I respect a lot, and who I believe makes really good decisions and has. Do you, you have know, any particular examples? Well, somebody... Michelle Obama's been a one of mine for a while yeah. now. But I, Did I, you I, know, I know you guys thought she was going to say Michelle Doherty, but she slipped into Obama. <laughs> and I, I mean, mean I, it was like it was close. It was close. We had it yeah. was it, we were we were tied until she said Obama. <laughs> I mean. But I'm yeah. second. Right, right, right. Yeah. But somebody who... <laughs> who or second Michelle. Right, or it could be, you know, my sister, who's really just a calm, wise is her person. her name Michelle also? No, oh. her name is Beth. Um, and, uh, you know, or uh, whoever that is. Mm. And I think, okay, in this situation, what is she... How is she reacting? What is she doing here? And it's interesting because almost immediately it's like, well, she's not... Sp- up at two o'clock in the morning, spinning scenarios about things that are out of control. It just gives us an att- an, an ability to re- to reframe by thinking at it through that with empathy, often through somebody sure. else's lens. Another way that I love to reframe is I call it the tens. Does this going to matter in ten minutes? Ten months? Ten years? And suddenly mm-hmm. you get out. It's like all of a sudden you're you know I'm not a filmmaker, but you guys know more about that than me, but if you're zooming out to sure. that big, wide vista perspective, suddenly things look a little less, you know, yeah. scary than if you're than if you're looking up um, at at up front. I also like to ask myself the question is like, is my future self going to be glad? that I'm reacting or behaving the way I am in this that's, moment. That's a great, that's a great, I mean, that's really a good question. It works well sometimes even for just little stuff like this morning, like I'm like, it's Monday morning. I don't feel like exercising. I was like, well, is my future self at five o'clock when I'm getting ready to go have this amazing conversation with these wonderful women and drink a glass of wine, be glad that I got my exercise in this morning? Yeah. The answer is yes, it was. Yeah. Even though I didn't feel like it in that moment, my future self would have appreciated that. So I find that to be... An effective way. And then the other thing I'd like to, to just, the simplest thing is just to ask yourself, is it helpful? Is this thought helpful to me, right? So I had a client reach out um, whose mom, very frustrated and just spinning for days. And the thought, it just, my, the, my kid's school district doesn't know what it's doing when, at the beginning of the school mm-hmm. year. They don't know mm-hmm. what they're doing and they don't know what they're doing and they don't know what they're doing. They're idiots. They're, they're sending us all these different information. And, and I said, okay. Is that thought helpful? And she says, no, but it's true. And I said, yeah, sometimes stuff is true and it's not particularly helpful. What I hear you telling me is you're spending days spinning in this place. Is yeah. there, and so I said, is there a more helpful thought that might help reframe the situation in a way that leaves you feeling less angry, frustrated, your kid and spouse stressed out? And at first she said, well, I guess they're doing the best they can. She was like, no, that doesn't feel better. And then she said, whoa, wait, wait. Her daughter's name was Katie. And she said, what I really want is for Katie to learn at least something this semester, to get something out of this experience and not just have it be a black hole of screen time and lack of experiences. And then I didn't say anything else. And immediately she said, okay. B, plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D related to her learning so that this isn't a black hole and there's something meaningful that comes out of it. And that was within her salad plate. (laughs) That was within her salad plate, right? Yeah. And acknowledging, you know, that she was so mad at them and the decisions that they were making that she was forgetting that she had some choices and some decisions that she could make here too. But it takes reframing for us yeah. to get there because we get so we yeah. get so hung up on being right and on I do anyway. And on and mm-hmm. on having and on place and having the battle, usually just with ourselves, but with right. the imaginary foe that we have no really ability to battle because they're not battling back. They don't care whether I think they're idiots or not. At all. Yeah. <laughs> so on that thought of, you know, everybody having this thought that you're right, your opinion's right, right? And and knowing that we've been through a very polarizing moment in time in our country's history. Mm-hmm. 
talking about empathy and reframing and all of these, this, this, where we are with this discussion, knowing that there are in all of our lives people, Michelle, you're, you have family members who Love are me. on the other side of the, 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 the ballot. Uh, Jill, I, I, I believe you are as well. I have dear friends that are as well. How do we manage these conversations going into a transitional period with empathy, uh, without bitterness? How do we come into these conversations in a safe place, letting them know that, you know, we're on the same side. We're humans. We're Americans. We're, we're people of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and we right. we want the best thing for everybody. Like, how do we right? The left and these... right wing come from the same bird is the right. thing that I've been right. Because the middle won't fly without them. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, how do we support these kinds of convers- difficult conversations with people that we love that we know are hurting right now? Yeah, and I think you know, first of all, it's to recognize that thanks to um, the magic of. Um, artificial intelligence that most of us have been, if we spend any time on social media or YouTube or anything else, most of us have been in a vacuum a little bit. Mm-hmm. We've been mainly hearing um, that that we are right yeah. and that the threat that we fear most is accurate and actually, you know, worth fearing in that, that anytime we know the brain science is there, that we're listening to confirmation about the thing that we fear a lot we're going to, it's kind of like going from having a six cylinder car and you're just only firing on those two cylinders. It limits our ability and our capacity to see other perspectives. Let's talk about that just for a second. Sure. Um, so what we're referring to with the AI technology um, has been around definitely mm-hmm. actively um, for the last handful of years. I remember uh, I was working in the technology sector from 2000, 2012, mm-hmm. and AI was really coming to place during that time of, you know, computers really learning how to make decisions based on your how you're interacting with with the computer. And, and we know uh, very clearly that AI has taken a deeper role mm-hmm. into consumer behavior. Uh-huh. You know, we're talking online, you know, we're in this digital world, right? We're going to websites, we're consuming information on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all of these, Twitter. And, and, and there's learning that is cultivating the information that we are consuming and going, oh, Emily, we see you reacted very positively to, you know, to information about Kamala Harris, to Obama, to um, puppies, <laughs> uh, <right. laughs> to fashion, whatever. And so it starts feeding information my way that informs me on these topics that I'm really interested in and believe in. Mm-hmm. And so now if you take the last four years and know that I respond to information that supports my beliefs and you go, okay, that's me. Meanwhile, I might have a family member that might be seeing the world in a completely different lens because of the content they're getting pushed at them. Right. Right. I think that is an important thing to really recognize that we all are not just coming from different perspectives of how we were raised and our privileges, but like literally technology at this point in time is sending us very curated information which changes our brains and we have to all own that fact and we all feel like it's changing it for the better when it's affirming whatever our perspective and our worldview is and i'm right i'm right it's sending the information And, and you know the thing that's been helpful for me to remember is that you know we have a uh, fallible, but that's kind of what works two-party system where those two tensions support the best and the worst of where the weaknesses and blind spots are in both of those. And they're also very big tents. So we we want to say that somebody who's in, you know, the other tent has X, Y, Z in this column, you know, narrow-mindedness or is going to create whatever thing, but it's a very big tent. So they may end up in there because there's one thing in there that makes them mm-hmm. feel like they're a little bit more comfortable in that tent or their own family history or culture or, you know, somebody else that was influenced in their life uh, who was it, it has them in that tent. And so I think back to your original question is how do we how do mm-hmm. we create connection? You know, because we are all human beings. We are all, right. you know, if we're going to get to the big 
big picture, big giant zoom out. We're all just, you know, people walking around. We're we're in our in our meat suits on our bones who yeah. just have a lot of the same human uh, hearts beating with the very similarities that are not nearly as as um, different or uh, separate from each other as we want to believe. And I think I think one of the first things that we need to do is to listen to each other. And one of the things that I found that has kept me in conversation with friends who have very different political views and support people that I uh, find it more difficult to support um, be based on their experiences. I'm curious what they're afraid of because I'm very driven. When I step back, I can see I'm very driven by what I'm afraid of. And I tend to, um, uh, create hyperbole and a lot more emphasis around the stuff I'm afraid of and diminish the stuff that other people are afraid of that I don't think really matters because sure. especially when it's the other or the other team, you know, I'm going to do that. And so when I can get a clear understanding of what they're afraid of, I get a clear understanding of their humanity. And okay. I, and That's I like to be point. able to say, well, this is interesting because this is what I'm afraid of. And why aren't you afraid of that? And I think that's an interesting <laughs> answer to get to. You know, um, I I th- I think this is fa- absolutely fascinating, and I'm trying to like imagine using this sort of discussion with the the people I've interacted with, um, you know, family members, and I, um, and you know, I'm just going to put it out here like this: I almost resent the fact that I have to be the one that has this conversation to accept to help them accept who I am you know like like I don't get from the other side within my family welcoming the same Michelle what are you afraid of if you were to come if you were to think this way or if you were to listen I mean it's it doesn't come like that it is always a you are so wrong you it's a lecture it is not just it's not a discussion it's not a dialogue and and I I kind of I'm I'm a little tired of having to always be the high road person and I So don't I mean that's yeah. a choice that you have to decide what's what's my um What's my end game? Do I want connection or do I want connection? If you do want connection, then the transactionalism of how come I'm the person that always has to do it, that, that's a transaction. That's a price of admission. You yeah. have to decide if you want to yeah. pay or not. Because otherwise you're going to sit on your side and say, um, I, I want connection, but I want them to be the one that reaches it first. And that's I, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I know that. I know that. But I think too, Michelle, like you are, you are a person who knows your opinion and it's not and, and you've done your research like you are an intelligent woman thanks and i don't think you would be happy if you just set aside and and was like yeah this is how they feel and that's that like I, I think part of your makeup is if you have the right tools if you know how to put stuff in your salad plate and off your salad plate to deal with stress and you know and you know how to maybe usher a conversation an uncomfortable uncomfortable conversation with somebody that you love i think that i would encourage you to do so because you're one of those people that you're not going to be satisfied by going i could have had that conversation well we've managed over the last four years to avoid the conversation because um, it was shortly after uh, Trump had been uh, inaugurated and we had gone to a, um, we had gone to a protest march. Um, It was when he was changing all the immigration rules and the Muslim ban and all that kind of stuff. And so my, my kids and I were downtown and, you know, we were marching and my dad came for an overnight visit and literally we're at a Mexican restaurant and they want to start talking about the immigration policy. And I'm like, I really don't want to talk about that here. Yeah. I think this is not the right location, but they were kind of pushing. I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I don't, this is not the time or the place. And we came home and it, it, it just sort of like escalated in the conversation. And my, one of my child, one of my kids just looked at my dad and, and said, do you hate us? And they're like, Oh no, no, we don't, we don't, we don't hate you. And they're like, because it feels like you do. And we've not had a political conversation since then. Now they on times try to drop stuff. Mm-hmm. 
to see if we'll bite, but we have gotten very well, good and, not to yeah, bite. Yeah, and parents are tough, right? Because the most one of the most threatening things from a biological perspective is that your kids will somehow do something that will they will get outside of your uh, your ability to protect them in the bubble or the tribe. That's, that's, you know, if you think about that from like evolutionarily, yeah, like, yeah. so yeah. it can be very threatening to parents. And so that it can feel like it's a matter of life or death to make you understand why it's unsafe to not have the same thinking patterns they do. So mm -hmm. if you can have a little, so sometimes that helps me to remember mm -hmm. that we need some grace on that because they're just, they're literally terrified for the propagate, you know, that, yeah, that we're going to sure. stay safe and they, and they care about, about that. So one of the things, you know, this is, there's all kinds of great people who do, um, conflict communication and management. And I've, I've been finding some of the ideas and tools that they use really helpful right now. And one is to, when somebody starts at with, here's, you know, here's what I'm feeling. It, it, or here's the facts. What I can name back without being patronizing is I, I understand you're afraid of X, Y, Z. So sometimes you mm -hmm. ask what they're afraid of, but sometimes when they're telling you, this is why I feel strong about that. Okay. I hear what you're saying. Now I can see you're afraid of, of, X, Y, Z. And you're smart, you know, unless they're stupid. You don't have to say they're smart. Yeah. <laughs> they're right. not. A lot of times they right. are smart. A lot yeah. of times. And, yeah. so, and so I, I... And that's sometimes the most frustrating thing right. is we're like, God, you're so smart. And I How see you're smart. You? And, and here's... And, and then, you know, and I'm curious. And can I share what I can get triggered and what I get afraid of? And I'm not saying one of the... Without saying which one of us is right, this yeah. is just a, information and... and so people will often say, it's funny, it's the first time in X number of years they listen to me. And then it's then I think the next question that's always curious is, is there anything that we can be hopeful about oh. that's truly wow. that that we can both talk about that you can find some hope here? Is there anything that you've learned or that you see in other people or things that have surprised you? And and I had a client that said, you know, when that question was posed that way and they had to say, well, I was surprised that, you know, that President Trump talked about this stuff but actually didn't do X, Y, Z. And that told me that sometimes people get excited about saying things, but when push comes to shove and you discover when you're actually doing it, that it's not a good idea that we still don't actually just do it mm -hmm. just because somebody says something they don't necessarily do it. And I was like, ah, oh, that's interesting, right? We, that's a good place for all of us to, to be challenging ourselves. I mean, there's no exact formula. We have some very good friends who we own a lake house with who are um, not on the, who have very differing political opinions. I have, I tend to have views that make everybody mad because those experiences as a journalist, I'm a little bit of a devil's advocate and I register in the middle, which makes people, because I'm, because I can, you know, I think everybody gets a little self-righteous and a little bit indignant. And so I like to sort of poke at where that sure. is, which makes it for interesting times at home and you with my family. You ask good questions which help you. <laughs> and we you really know. tried to model with these, this couple friend of ours in front of all of our kids who are in college, how to have civil honest conversations. We didn't avoid yeah. it. We didn't dance around it. We got mad at each other at times, but we apologized when we overstepped. We named it to each other when we were talking at each other as opposed to to each other. And I keep telling people, we're proof that you can have a deep and abiding love. I think we love each other more now as friends because we have sort of made it through this and still said, I can understand your brain is wired differently than mine around these certain issues, but that doesn't make you a bad human being. Right. Yeah. I would have, I was going to say, it sounds like that your relationship with the the other couple is, is, is transcends mm -hmm. the, um, the, the climate that we live yeah, in. And it didn't, but it didn't sidestep it. Right. Cause there's experiences when you talked about, like sometimes you just put stuff on hold and say, we're not going to talk about it. And that's, okay to a degree, except for sometimes then it becomes this big giant thing that's taking up all the space in the room because nobody's actually addressed. Well, those it. are decisions that you make because, you, you know, I can, I can speak to certain relationships that I have that I've made the conscious decision to mm -hmm. say, we can't go there. Right. Because the price I of admission want, is too high to have that because there's no changing I want lines. a relationship and, and that, that just means we can't go there. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I have other friend relationships that are, you know, we do go there. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, they're two of my best friends, you know, and 
Um, and I trust them with every part of me. If the mm-hmm. world was falling apart, I'd go be with these girls. And of course, oh, okay. Michelle, well, if, of I, course. if I'm not busy, of course, if I'm you, too busy, you know, right? yeah. And so, yeah. but we definitely have different beliefs and, and we do trust each other enough to have the conversation, which is great. Um, so, you know, it's, but I absolutely understand that, you know, we don't always feel like we we can mm-hmm. go there because if we, if we still want a relationship. Yeah, that's true too. And I have to, I've had that. And what I've learned with another friend of mine who has very strong feelings. And, and so I was avoidant because I, I didn't like to feel this strong. And what I've learned to say is I, I, we love each other. And, um, if you get very triggered because you love me so much, you want me to agree with you, but you're having your anger at me about something that really has nothing to do with me. And so I, I want us to talk about it if you if we can stay calm because when you get angry, you you get angry at me. I'm not mad at you. I'm just I just want you to understand. I said, well that's mad at me. That's mad at me not being who you want me to be, and that doesn't feel good. You are kind of like the badass at boundaries. Uh, except for when I'm not. <laughs> um, and, well, because I've been terrible. I was terrible at them for a really, 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 really long time. My boundaries were if everybody else um, would just act like I think everything's fine, and then I'm, I'm going to over-process and be a little bit better so that you'll see that if you do this, it'll work out too. And it was a terrible strategy. And so it had, <laughs> so I had to get good and better at saying, you know, I'm wondering if is, and I've gotten really comfortable at messy conversations because my richest experiences in life have come from being more honest in messy conversations, being willing to be wrong. You know, I, I, I like to say that two of my favorite human attributes are the ability to laugh at ourselves mm-hmm. and um, the ability to recognize that a lot of times the things that go wrong are the stuff that ends up very right in our lives. Because I've learned truth? that over and over and over again. It's yeah. like, I would not have written the script for that, but damn it if it didn't end up being one of the best things that happened. It's true. You know, uh, who was it? Was it? I don't remember. It's one great, it's, it's either Steve Jobs or someone of that caliber talked about being concerned if their employees weren't making enough mistakes mm-hmm. because they weren't taking enough chances. Yeah. What's and you're not in, learning from that, from, um, you know? A, a Virgin Atlantic. Uh, um, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Yes. If only we could Google and find out. I know. We can. Give me a minute. Yeah. But I I think that there is. Richard Branson, thank you very much. Yes. No, I think that's a really good point. We do learn by making mistakes. Oh, my gosh. We learn the best stuff often. Right. And, 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 you know, hopefully. We've learned a lot over in the, the last, last four, four years. years. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I think we've learned a lot in the last nine months. Right? This, yeah. I think, because it, making mistakes and also from plot twists, so which what I call, you know, yeah. it's like I. In, in a talk that I've been giving in corporate settings, I start out and say, once upon a time, there was a young woman who decided she was going to be a member of the royal family one day. She was the end. <laughs> Not interesting. Like, where's the fairy tale there? There's what? no plot twist. Like, where yeah. are the miracles? Where are the things that she overcame? Yeah, and, the- and she was, but then she moved them to Canada. Yeah. And she left the royal family. <laughs> right. And how's that working out? But that's a great plot twist, right? That's yeah. much better than my yeah. story, right? The plot twists are the things that make it interesting, the things that make it valuable, the things that make it meaningful, and the things that make it hard. And I think... A lot of us, myself included. And rich. Right. But I wanted to avoid all the plot twists because that felt hard and scary for me. And the problem with that is that I'm leaving out all of the things that make life interesting and worthwhile and to show that I, that in the, in the sense of, um, beautiful um, satisfaction that comes from having the grit and getting through those times and the shared humanity of we have, we are going through this shit together and uh, we can't just out perfect ourselves out of this. That's, you know, that you guys both beautifully articulated in various ways. There's a great unifier and humanizer in this Mm -hmm. experience that we've been there. If we can all remember that, that we have all this, this, you know, this virus in 2020 has taken us all down in weird and surprising ways, which has a chance to bring us all together in yeah, weird and surprising ways. It's recalibrating ways. us. Yeah, oh, that's a great way to say it. That's right. I mean, it has changed us. 
And I hope that we hold on to the good parts of it and that we that we kind of shed some of our frustrations from it. You know, I mean, we can we could spend a lot of time just being angry mm-hmm. at the virus, being angry at the situation, being, being angry fearful. Mm-hmm. and being fearful. Yeah. You know, um, because that's a that's a familiar and kind of a comfortable spot to be. Right. Right. So again, that's that taking that responsibility to let those feelings have a right to life, process them, then make a decision of what's in our control, where we want to spend our focus and time and how we can kind of reframe our, our energy and um, what, what are our deeper values? What do we really care about? Is it being um, right and, and, beating somebody else down or is it being connected and learning and figuring out that, um, that, you know, there isn't, I think that's one of the positive things from the election is it was a little bit humbling for everybody because people on one side thought that it was both sides thought there was going to be a reckoning Mm -hmm. because of that sort of like silo that we'd put Mm -hmm. ourselves in. And what was a reckoning of realization is that we have different thoughts, opinions, fears, but there's still some shared places we can go if we'll just look a little harder for them, I think. Yeah. yeah. Do you have some recommendations for some books, websites, or resources as people are trying to learn how to process all of these conversations, well, emotions? Yeah, okay, well, that's fair too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I talk about on my website is how to process stress and um, manage our time as opposed to being on the hamster wheel and just waiting for the world to happen to us. So I'm always happy for people to come look around on the ideas section, which has a lot of articles of information. Uh, you know, right now, the person that I have been, um, the, the people that have been meaningful for me um, is I've, I'm reading some Pema Chodron again. Um, she's, she talks a lot about how to break patterns of behavior by stopping to bite the hook, mm. right? The hooks are always going to be there, but we keep biting the hook. We're the ones that actually end up with the hooks in our mouth. And so I have really appreciated her way of um, sort of bringing peace and um, broader perspectives to things. And so she's been kind of my jam um, uh, recently. I love it. Um, in front of conversations from a more kind of like... Um, spiritual uh, perspective and um, I think you know I think there's just a lot of of um, the biggest step that I can think we can all take is be willing to be in the conversation right now mm-hmm. conversation is not talking at each other it's not debating it's not winning points it's listening and learning and and I think that's you know just like what you guys do here right real mm-hmm. women having real life conversations sometimes they're messy sometimes they're meandering yeah. but a lot of times something meaningful comes out of it yeah I love yeah. that well cheers to that ladies thank you so Thanks. much Jill for joining us yeah, once again anytime it was great to be back yeah and take care of yourself stay healthy thank you and um, and our listeners out there, you too. Stay healthy, yeah. stay sane as best you can, and and um, you know, give yourselves a break too. We don't have to be perfect 100 percent of the time. Amen. You know. All right. Cheers, cheers, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>